the domestic season may be over, but we still have the Champions League and Europa League to come. And Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Welcome, thanks for tuning in to this week's Zonal Marking Podcast. It's brought to you by The Athletic. Our topic today is one that makes me just about as excited as I've been on an episode of the ZM Pod so far. And to make things more exciting, I'm joined by my favourite podcast duo, Warville and Cox. To some, they may sound like a detective duo, one over-eager, wet behind the ears, the other hardened by many years of hard drinking and tough cases. To others, they could well be the accounting firm with an eye for forensic detail when it comes to an audit. And to be honest, that's probably closest to the truth. For us, they are the tactics and analytics writers for The Athletic. Today, as I mentioned, something quite special lined up. A podcast about, in my opinion the greatest player in the history of the modern game. Michael Cox, why have we chosen this week to talk about Lionel Messi? Well, me and and Tom and also Dermot Corrigan, who's been on this podcast before chatting about La Liga, have been uh, working on this for a while. We just wanted to do something on Leo Messi. We wanted to do a a kind of not time-specific thing, not about his position next week or, you know, his contract negotiations in the summer, but just something basically explaining how good he is and, and basically how... He's good in so many different ways, or great in so many different ways, I should say, really. So, yeah, me and Dermot contributed to this article, but I really think it's, it's Tom who deserves the lion's share of the credit. It's one of the most impressive and comprehensive statistical articles about football I've seen. So um, maybe in some ways we won't be able to do justice to it because it's it's brilliant in terms of infographics and in terms of the, the, the graphs that are used. But yeah, it was certainly something that we wanted to discuss on this podcast as well. Tom, are you comfortable with that? type of flattery no I'll, I'll take it i mean yeah i, I definitely <laughs> i really really enjoy the work on the piece and i definitely think it's it's one of if not the best thing I've, I've contributed to on the site yeah and it was i mean it was the realization that you know it was a lot of work but i was getting paid to watch and work with Lionel messi essentially so um i can't really complain too much about that but yeah really really excited to, to dig into what we've got before we get into the detail of the piece just I think it'd be interesting certainly for me and and hopefully for some listeners as well to understand a little bit about how you approach a massive article like this and how you yeah how you went about producing this piece of magnificent messy content I think that mine and Michael's kind of process of approaching this was slightly different at the start and obviously we, we tied it all together in the end but for me I was using the kind of 
data provided by by Statsbomb. Um, and it's only really of, of all of Messi's games back from 0405 when he started to 1819 last year. And because of that, you don't really have you know, you're not really able to benchmark him to other players. But if anything, that doesn't really matter because there's no one really in, in Messi's league at all over that, you know, long period of time. So for me, it was very much when was Messi the best or, or great versus himself at different stages of his career, his different skills. But I think M- Michael's kind of view on how to tackle it was, was slightly different. But well, of course, he started as Barca's number 19. He has been their number 10 now for a long time. And using that arbitrary squad number, we've got 10 parts of Messi's game to break down, 10 parts of this wonderful player to look at. Uh, now, it's a good time to mention that the piece itself, as Michael said, one of the most impressive bits of, of stats and analytics writing he has seen is on the Athletic site. And if you're not a subscriber, you can get a 30-day free trial if you go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking. So do check out the piece uh, after we have talked you through it. We've got to start with dribbling. And Tom, this is the first thing I think of when I think of, of Leo Messi, the effortlessness with which he beats opposition defenders and the amount of opposition defenders that he beats on a match-to-match basis, certainly as a younger player. Uh, What numbers did you find to support the idea that Messi is one of the best dribblers of all time? Yeah, so straight off the bat, I think that the Messi's ability with dribbles is is definitely both in terms of the volume of the numbers that he attempts and also how good he is at, at completing those. And for a lot of these kind of areas of skill, we can look over each season how is he essentially performing? And we saw that in 07-08, he was attempting just shy of 12 dribbles per 90 minutes played, which is, is frankly, it's a bit of a joke. Um, I think the <laughs> highest for players in the Premier League who've played a decent sample of minutes this season is around seven with, with um, Alan Sennett-Maximan. And Messi, apart from 0405, in which he I think he played a total of 100 minutes or something, has never really gone below seven, even in recent years. So, yeah, I guess to put in this context, that season he was attempting double the number of dribbles that you know the best dribbly player in the Premier League this season is attempting. Um, it's a bit like having a Dharma Traore dribbling ability on steroids just each each you know year of the player's career it's 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 mental really the number of dribbles he's making per game has come down a bit more in recent years and and maybe that's one thing that as Messi gets older his his, maybe his legs aren't there and that burst of pace isn't quite there but you know he's still miles above the average player even in his, his early 30s now Michael I mean I was I was watching some of his early goals for Barcelona his very first goal comes he appears to be in a left-sided position for his first goal, which is a lovely little lob. And it was as a right-winger that he really established himself at first in this Barcelona side, cutting in onto his left foot, of course. Was he always destined, do you think, to start as a a right-winger? Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that goal because um, he was wearing number 30 rather than number 19, Ali, to correct you on your earlier point. But uh, we'll brush over that. Um, (laughs) No, I mean... When Messi was coming through Barcelona, he wanted to play as number 10. He wanted to be like the Argentine number 10, the Maradona figure. He rarely played there. He was generally moved out to the flanks because he was such a good dribbler. But he absolutely refused to play on the left flank. And I think we probably take that for granted. I mean, you look at someone like, for example, Cristiano Ronaldo, who was developing at roughly the same time, okay, a little bit earlier. He very much came through as a right winger at um, 
at Sporting and then at Manchester United, he barely ever played on the left in, in his first couple of seasons. And there was a very obvious shift from playing on one flank to the other. And OK, in his later career, he has played more as a centre forward. But I think the difference between Ronaldo on the right and Ronaldo on the left was one side is crossing, one side is shooting, basically. Messi, I think, the fact he never played on the left is is kind of a testament to Barcelona's, I'd say, slightly visionary attitude towards football. I mean, I think we take it for granted now that left players like to play on the right and, and vice versa, and they cut inside and shoot. But this is the kind of middle of the 2000s when it wasn't unusual to see dribblers on their proper side going down the outside and getting crosses in. We've never really seen Messi playing on, on the left permanently. Like you mentioned, he played there a couple of times when he came on as a sub in, in his first few games. But he's never been fielded regularly on the left. And therefore, the crossing is one thing we've never really seen from his game, partly because of his style, partly because of his positioning, partly because Barcelona don't really want to play that way. But he was, you know, a right winger coming inside from an early stage. I wonder how many assists from crosses, headed goal assists from crosses, not including corners and free kicks Messi has made in his career. That might be stretching the limits of, of Tom Warville, but it's food for thought anyway. Uh, let's talk about him as a, as a goal scorer because such goal scoring numbers as we basically had never seen from someone playing in his position uh, and certainly are, are pretty much unrivaled by anyone not named Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, we've, we've kind of become accustomed to it, haven't we, Tom? There was the calendar year where he hit 90 goals. It just became so routine that I think we almost need to take a step back and and teach ourselves again how ridiculous this footballer is in terms of goal scoring. What can you wow me with? stats wise when i was trying to find a good kind of comparison for messi i didn't think the name that i'd come to would be papi cisse at newcastle um <laughs> but cisse uh albeit in kind of slightly limited minutes but he, he played over a thousand minutes in 11 12 scored 13 goals and was a rate of around kind of 1.5 or 1.05 sorry goals per 90 and in terms of the premier league in the, the past 10 years that's kind of the best record that we have for players with just over a thousand minutes played and Messi's kind of absolutely kind of nowhere near that in terms of he, he's just miles ahead and I just thought it's, it's crazy that this is you know even though we're we're bending the statistical boundaries a little bit to, to wrangle in Cissé's name that's the best record we have if you look at the Mo Salah 17-18 season he scored 31 non-penalty goals and that equated to kind of 0.96 goals per 19 that, that's probably probably the, the more better record because Salah's played more goals and that less of them are impacted by um, by substitute appearances. But Messi's equaled or eclipsed that record, you know, six times in the past 10 seasons. So it's just absolutely kind of in a league of his own. And it's really tough to compare Premier League scorers to him just because the, the number of goals he scored is, is um, you know, crazy and incomparable, really. I can't believe you could possibly beat a goal-scoring stat that includes Papa Cisse in it, Michael. But do you have a, a favourite Messi goal-scoring statistic? Yeah, I do. I've, I've almost become slightly immune to the Messi goal-scoring numbers just because they're so sensational. And whenever he reaches a milestone, whether it's 600 goals or 700 goals or whatever, I'm, I'm always slightly surprised he just hasn't done it already because he scores so much. But my favourite Messi stat, and I just think this is the best Messi stat by a distance, is what he did midway through... 2012-13, uh, where he scored in 19 games in a row against every other side in La Liga, which is just like is just ridiculous. You can, 
you know, you can score a lot of goals over a long period of time, but you usually you have off days. And he just, 19 games in a row, he's scored against literally everyone else in the league. And I'm, I'm a bit surprised that this isn't just held out as by far the best statistic, the best thing anyone's achieved as an individual in terms of scoring goals. It's absolutely sensational. I'm just going to read out the list of, of names now, just to exaggerate it. Mallorca, Zaragoza, Levante, Athletic Bilbao, Real Betis, Atletico Madrid, Valladolid, Espanyol, Malaga, Real Sociedad, Osasuna, Valencia, Getafe, Granada, Sevilla, Real Madrid, Deportivo, Rayo Vallecano and Celta Vigo. And the good thing is, for the 20th game, he was out injured. So he would have, had he got injured a game early, he would have not achieved this thing that probably no one will ever achieve in history again. But he just managed to get it in before he got a hamstring injury against PSG. Um, although if you do take his... Uh, his own La Liga games when he returned with two substitute appearances he did score two more goals in two games um, so he ended on yeah 21 games in a row he scored personally but that streak of 19 in a row against every other opponent I just think is unbeatable unbelievable Mark Ramprakash springs to mind there if anyone wants a cricket football <laughs> crossover man who scored a county championship ton against every other county possible uh, let, let's move on swiftly Michael the phrase false nine is closely associated with Leo Messi. Fair to say he's uh, really held up as the pioneer of, of this role in this. It was it was something new in football at the time. Do you, do you think it's fair to say that he was the first, the pioneer? Yeah, I think in the modern era, he, he was really. I mean, there was other players who played it in a historical sense. You can go back and find examples from Hungary in the 1950s if you want. You can look at Johan Cruyff playing up front for Ajax and Holland. In Barcelona terms, Michael Laudrup, to a certain extent, was doing a, a similar thing in the start of the 1990s. And OK, there had been, you know, Francesco Totti, I think, uh, had done that very well for Roma in a in a kind of... Um, they stumbled upon that solution when a couple of other players were out injured. But I think the way Messi did it to play at that level for so long and so consistently and... To be in this unusual situation where he, he almost convinced the rest of Europe that, OK, you don't need to play a centre-forward up front, but also was scoring more goals than anyone during that period. He kind of married the number 10 and the number 9 roles in a, in a way that I don't think anyone else would be capable of doing. So, yeah, I, I think just in terms of uh, maybe didn't pioneer it, but certainly popularised it. I think it's, uh, you know, even even now there's been a few copycats, but no one else has really been able to play it in such a complete way as Messi. Does anyone get close? Uh, we, we sometimes mention the phrase false nine when talking about Roberto Firmino, for example. Pep Guardiola has uh, attempted to use uh, some different City players in that role. Anything you've seen that, that comes anywhere near Messi's interpretation of the false nine? No, I really don't think anyone else gets there. I mean, as I've said previously, I think Firmino, at times he's been a proper nine and at times he's been very much a false nine. He hasn't necessarily done the two at once, certainly not on a consistent period of time. I mean, I, I guess the other the other player who I would say has has done it, not necessarily on a consistent basis, but at the highest level, would be Cesc Fabregas in terms of Spain winning Euro 2012. I mean, Fabregas never played there really for his club. But under Del Bosque, uh, you know, Spain kind of went through a, a few iterations with different centre-forwards up front. But in the final of Euro 2012 against Italy, they returned to Fabregas playing up there. And he did it in a very different way to Messi. He actually, I would say, almost became a, a makeshift centre-forward rather than a, an out-and-out false nine dropping deep and linking play. But I would say that's the maybe the most significant example in, in terms of the, the history of tactics, partly because 
there was a great period where Messi and Fabregas were playing up front for Barcelona together. Um, the start of 2011-12 when Fabregas had first come back to Barcelona. And Guardiola was playing almost three at the back, three up front and a dime in midfield with Fabregas as the number 10 and Messi as the number nine. And they're interchanging and, you know, their, their rotation of positions, their interplay was, I think, maybe the most electric football that Barcelona played under under Guardiola. Didn't last long, but was really fantastic when it happened. So, yeah, Fabregas is the other name I'd mention if uh, if in 50 years someone wants to know about what false nines were all about at this time. Michael, where do you think that Mario Goetze fits in on that? Do you think he's similar at all or, or not? Yeah, I mean, he's a funny one. I guess we, we almost have to speak of his career as something of a disappointment, which is a great shame considering his, his talent and, of course, the fact he scored the, the winner in a World Cup final, which for any other player, I think you would say, well, that's, you know, that's en- enough... Uh, you know, glory to last a career. But yeah, it was clear Guardiola went there to, to Bayern and wanted Goetze to, to be his man in that in that role. I just don't think Goetze was, was really up to it at that point. And, and his development, I think, has been quite stilted for various reasons. And of course, Guardiola then went to a completely different system, really, where he brought in Robert Lewandowski, obviously another player from Dortmund. And Lewandowski is an interesting one because you wouldn't consider him a false nine in terms of his stature in terms of his height and also in terms of his goal scoring ability but I think in terms of linking play and doing those kind of false nine things he's probably as good as anyone has has been at that during the last five or six years so yeah I mean Guardiola is an interesting one I think as well you know when he went to Manchester City he wasn't completely convinced about Aguero because Aguero just went in behind and Aguero I think has had to bring more elements of his game compared to how he first was at Manchester City and Aguero again I think is interesting because he's he started out being considered like a second striker, almost a number 10. I mean, he's always worn number 10 rather than number nine. So maybe had Aguero come through at Barcelona and, and been coached by Guardiola at an earlier stage of his career, we would have considered him a different type of player. But um, yeah, certainly he doesn't come close to Messi in terms of the dribbling and in terms of the assisting and, and all the other things we talk about in the article. So the dribbling was pretty evident almost immediately when Messi started playing for Barcelona's first team. The, the goal-scoring was not far behind. We understood that this was an elite goal scorer fairly swiftly. Tom, what about creatively in terms of assists? When did Messi start to put up serious numbers as an elite assister? Yeah, it was around 07-08 again when he, he's you know bumped up around half an assist game on average. And before that, I mean, his numbers numbers were really low, even for kind of an attacking midfielder or, or a forward. He was averaging essentially one assist in 10 games uh, and then shot up to, to one in every two. But yeah, his, his best season for assists was, was 10-11 and he was um, averaging just again over half an assist a game. And the numbers have kind of fluctuated season on season and he's never really dropped down too low but I just think that um, it's interesting that that assisting seems to have come with kind of a a positional change and also around the time when he's starting to build kind of better partnership down the right hand side I think when when Danny Alves moved there especially I mean we can we'll get to it in a second but the number of kind of one twos he looks to play and and the way that that kind of build space for Messi to then move into and, and kind of pull apart defences from there really impact his ability to create chances for his teammates. Now then, do you like beer? Do you like free beer? Because as a valued listener to the Zonal Marking Podcast, we'd like to bestow upon you just that. Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do 
is go to www.beer52.com forward slash zonal and cover the postage of just £4.95. If that wasn't enough, as a listener of Zonal Marking, you'll get two extra free beers. So that's 10 free beers. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries planet Earth has to offer. No surprise then that they are the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 delivers you a case with a different theme. And previous themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand, and many more. But they haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave at any time. The power is in your hands. And as well as the best, most interesting beer money can buy, your case will include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment, which explains the theme and individual beers you'll receive. And a beery snack is thrown in just to top it all off. And if you don't like dark beers, choose the light plan. Easy. Just go to beer52.com forward slash zonal to get your case free. And don't forget, right now, Zonal Marking listeners get two extra free beers. This is a, a player who has a five-goal haul to his name in a Champions League game against Leverkusen in 2012. Michael, in terms of assists as well, uh, as far as I can see on the website Transfermarkt, there are three separate occasions in La Liga. One in 2010, one in 2011 and one in 2018 in which Messi has scored three goals and assisted two further goals in a game for five total. Uh, two of those games finished 8-0. And the other one, the perfect game for me, 5-0 win against Levante in 2018. Three goals and two assists for Messi. Which games in particular stand out for you when you think about Messi as a creator? Well, it's probably going quite a way back, but it's going back to 2010-11. And I'd say this is where we've we've kind of established that Messi is a great goal scorer as well as a great dribbler. Um, and there's a period where he scores in five games in a row. I think he scored 10 in those five. Um, and it's just before Classico. So this is the famous Classico, the 5-0, Mourinho's first Classico. The game where Barcelona absolutely destroy Real. And they score five goals and Messi doesn't score any of them. But he does get two brilliant assists for David Villa. Very similar kind of passes, classic false nine, if you like, coming deep, dragging the centre-backs with him and just playing a ball between centre-back and full-back and Villa running through and finishing. And yeah, I think that's when I realised, OK, this is a player who is not just a great dribbler and a goal scorer, but it's someone who can uh, who can play passes probably as well as anyone in Europe. And, and yeah. you know, I think on the back of that, I, I wrote an article, you know, this is a long time ago now, but saying, OK, Messi's now a great dribbler, a sister and a goal scorer. And obviously, a few years on, we've been able to to add things for that as well. So, yeah, there, there was a game, I can't remember who it was against last year, but Barcelona had 20 shots in the game. Messi took 12 of those shots and created the other eight. So, you know, at times he's, he's basically just doing it all himself. Unbelievable. We can sort of dig further into passing by looking at one-twos, which is a, a really 
exciting and fairly new, I think, a uh, bit of, of data available to us here that you've sifted through, Tom. And it allows us to talk about some partnerships as well, because uh, Messi has been magnificent, but he's not the only Barcelona player that's worth talking about. And those partnerships with certain players have been key to his success. When I think of Messi and one-twos, I think about Xavi and Iniesta, those wall passes that, that Barcelona have been so good at over the years using Messi as a elite passer as well. You've obviously had some fun with the numbers here, Tom. One twos is a, an unusual bit of data to play with. What stood out when, when looking at this? Yeah, I felt kind of like the wacky artist when trying to look at one twos because it's just so different <laughs> to the usual like stat stuff that you usually see knocking around. So yeah, it's definitely probably the the most like fun category that there was to look at. And a lot of it was, was born out of just, I was looking around for you know videos or examples and found a compilation of just Messi and Danny Alves one twoing consistently to each, each other i think most of them was like 10 11 the 11 12 season and it gets to the point where most of the passes aren't just like standard side foot passes that they make but they're like little flicks and they're doing back heels and no look passes and they're just having fun while ripping apart like you know the left hand side of a, the opposition defense but yeah so i was able to kind of look at you know who messi was wall passing with or one twoing with most often and and for the majority of seasons it's it's actually shabby but Danny Alves kind of is always in there down that right hand side and in 12-13 it was kind of a career high for Messi where he scored nine goals following a one two and and created three assists as well um, in that time and you know the partnerships he was using most then was was Xavi, uh, Andres Iniesta and, and Cesc Fabregas. And then of late, the, the positions have kind of changed. And, and previously, you had kind of more midfielders or Dani Alves shooting at the right. And then in kind of 15-16 onwards, it's it's more Neymar and Suarez who are the key one-twoers that Messi is, is working with. So it seems that, you know, he, he's relying on the midfielders, yes. And, and maybe that's you know, reflected in the, the position that he's playing in. And there's a kind of heat map that's, that's in the piece that kind of shows where Messi's one-twos are taking place over time. And, and you see that there's kind of an evolution from he's using them more on the right wing to more centrally. And, and in 18-19, it's kind of all across the front of the 18-yard box. He's just able to to link play and, and bounce passes off people and, and get into space and attack from there. So, yeah, it's not really something that's slowed down a lot in his repertoire recently, but I think that those seasons with Dani Alves, Xavi and Iniesta were, were probably the best for the one-two. Michael, positionally, uh, starting on the right, occupying that false nine position uh, and really making the most of it. You, you did mention at the beginning of the pod, though, that early on he wanted to be the classic Argentine number 10. Do you think that has been the, the third part of his career positionally? Yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, I think he's um, he's generally been played there for Argentina. They had spells of playing him from the right. They had spells of playing him as a false nine, obviously looking at where he was excelling for Barcelona. But I mean, throughout his time with Argentina, they've generally just seen him as the classic Argentine number 10 because they're just so desperate for a player in that mould. So he played there at World Cup 2010, under Maradona, of course. He played there pretty much in a slightly different way at World Cup 2014 when he was playing as, I'd say, a, st a second striker, really, rather than uh, the third forward, if you like. And yeah, he's brought that to his, his game at Barcelona in recent years, I think probably through circumstances more than anything. I think the loss of of Neymar meant that Barcelona had to go in a different direction and, and didn't really have a, 
an elite wide forward despite their attempts to bring in Mbele for example so they reformatted it probably gave the midfield a bit more protection as well I don't think Messi is at his best there not because of his own qualities in that number 10 position but I think because Barcelona have played such better football when they stretch the play I think that gives Messi more space probably in the centre of the pitch and also gives him more passing options to play those passes in behind, um, as I mentioned before, for, for David Villa. But yeah, it was it was probably always a position he would play eventually at club level. Um, and of course, he's very good at it. But I think Barcelona are at their best probably when they have a bit more of a sophisticated, complex approach to their formation. We kind of established early on, Tom, that in terms of his creating, his assists, not so much of a, a crosser of the ball, but... Uh, an absolutely elite passer of the ball, especially when it comes to through balls. Both the accuracy and the weight of them have been magnificent over the years. Uh, when I think of of Messi playing through balls, I think back to that classic Barcelona side uh, and I think of maybe Pedro or maybe even Thierry Henry and David Villa running in behind and, and curling in from the left side of the box. Uh, another Messi assist notched. Uh, but you've looked at the numbers. So tell me, who who have been the greatest beneficiaries of Messi's through balls? Yeah, so we can see that, um, I mean, one of the seasons that I focused on quite a lot is 15-16, is just because it's a year where Messi got 11 assists all in from three balls, the majority of which were for Luis Suarez, who got seven, and then and then Neymar got, I think, three as well. And then over time, I guess they're less, you know, not always through balls, but in terms of assists, Suarez is the player that has got most of the assists with 23. This is kind of excluding 19-20 this season. Uh, and then after that, I was kind of slightly surprised, maybe slightly naive, but um, Pedro is actually the second highest beneficiary. He's got kind of 13 assists from Messi. And then after that, you've got Samuel Eto'o and, and Neymar. So yeah, the the assists, the, the through ball is definitely one where if, if you're ever feeling low and need a pick-me-up, just fire up a compilation of Messi's through balls from deep because some of them are just... You have to watch the clip multiple times to actually see the run he's trying to pick out. They are just kind of that that great to watch. Michael, I, I know you're someone that watches a lot of Messi compilations on YouTube. Any particular favourites when we're talking about through balls? Yeah, it's funny that Tom mentions um, Pedro because when Tom ran the numbers, he kind of came back to us and was like, oh, surprised that Pedro's so high up there. And I was like, look, don't you disrespect Pedro. Pedro was the best player at getting on the end of Messi's through balls. Mm. Um, so I was desperate to find one from Pedro. But my favourite one is... I, I guess this is the kind of classic one, but it's the one he played for Angel Di Maria in the 2014 World Cup um, against Belgium, where the pass is just played so slowly. I think it's in behind Vincent Company, who maybe wasn't the best at covering space, but it, it really just doesn't seem to make any sense. Di Maria is so far in front of company that the idea he could get to a ball played at that angle is is ludicrous. And the funny thing about this, but quite a sad thing from Di Maria's perspective, is that um, he cut inside and had a shot that was blocked, I think, by company. And Di Maria, in taking that shot, uh, pulled his hamstring and was out for the rest of the tournament. Obviously, couldn't even play in, in the World Cup final when Argentina got for that. Uh, got to that. So, yeah, pretty sad on his behalf. But I got to say, if you get on the end of the best through ball that I've ever seen and you don't score. Suspension from the rest of the tournament is a fitting punishment, I think. So I don't have too much sympathy in that regard. 
Well, I mean, we spoke to Dermot Corrigan about Barcelona on this podcast about a month ago or maybe two months or so. Worth a listen to that, not just focusing on on Lionel Messi, although, of course, his name popped up once or twice. Uh, And when you said that Pedro is the best player at getting on the end of Messi through balls, it reminded me of of when Dermot was speaking about the current incumbent of that title, who is, of course, Martin Braithwaite. Who, uh, who has a real desire to get on the end of, of Messi's passes. Um, something that's probably not talked about or thought about much in terms of Messi and probably kind of overlooked in general when you're talking about top players or analysing careers uh, is just minutes played. Um, and Michael, in many ways, this is kind of the most surprising category uh, when it comes to Lionel Messi. Yeah, it was something I was quite keen to include because... I think it's sometimes an underrated aspect of being a great player is you've got to be available and you've got to be able to play minutes. And I think that's particularly notable for a player like Messi, who is on the end of, you know, quite harsh treatment, physical treatment at the hands of defenders sometimes. So, yeah, I mean, I was interested to see whether... I mean, this started off as a kind of a thing I suspected, but actually when we ran the numbers, we found that from the last 10 complete seasons... Messi's played more minutes in La Liga than anyone else. And it's, I think it's quite an in- interesting list. I should say the goalkeepers I uh, excluded from this list because they tend to just play more minutes. But the list of the top 10 of, of La Liga minutes over the last decade is Messi, Godin, Busquets, Griezmann, Sergio Ramos, Cristiano Ronaldo, Irazos, Gabi, Gerard Piquet and Juan Fran. So it tends to be quite a good proxy almost for just who the good players are. If you knew nothing about football whatsoever and you had no performance analytics and someone said, who's the best 10 players in La Liga? You could just go to the list of minutes played and, you know, you'd find a pretty good selection that probably you wouldn't get laughed out of town for suggesting they're the best 10 players in the league. And of course, the fact that Messi's at the top of it is, I think, quite remarkable for a player in his position. The best ability, as they say, is availability. Uh, And I notice, (laughs) Michael, that in the uh, short life of this podcast so far, we're both rocking 100% of minutes played, and I'm interested to see who blinks first. Um, (laughs) Tom, I want to talk about his set pieces, specifically his free kicks, because it feels like he kept adding new elite parts to his game when... He really didn't need to. Uh, and free kicks feels like like one of those. Uh, it's very much anecdotally, 
I picture him tucking in free kicks much more in the last sort of five years as I did in the potentially those glory years early on under Guardiola. Does that stack up in the in the numbers? Yeah, it, it does. I feel after that, I feel like such a, a bit part fringe player on this podcast now, but we'll, <laughs> we'll press on regardless. Yeah, in, in the kind of earlier years of, with Messi Barcelona, like he wasn't really given an in with free kicks and they were kind of mainly taken by Ronaldinho and, and Deco. And Ronaldinho is quite interesting where he he took loads and then didn't score for ages and then went on a massive kind of spree. And I think he got five goals in his, in his last season from free kicks alone, which again shows that a lot of the scoring from these situations can come in gluts. But yeah, over his first, uh, I think it's five seasons, Messi got uh, three goals just from free kicks. And then over the kind of the next five seasons, he, he got um, a fair few more. Uh, and in total, he got, I think, 14. And then since then in Definitely 17, 18, 18, 19. It seems that something kind of clicked. And Messi scored 12 goals from 88 free kicks, which I think that conversion rate is like 13%. And I think the average on an average free kick is something like 6%. So it's as if he got kind of bored of, of enhancing the other skills he had and just thought, let's just you know, add another one. And yeah, I mean, he, he's amazing free kick taken now and I think that the one that summarises it, it best is potentially the one against Liverpool in the in the Champions League last year and it's just the technique the power the angle everything around that, that free kick is you know you maybe would, would not expect Messi to A even think about attempting it earlier in his career and, and be even able to obviously pull it off either so yeah I think that free kicks are, are the next thing that he's kind of added to his game and in fairness Barcelona kind of need it because at the moment, Messi's free kicks are probably the the second best goal scorer in the squad. <laughs> so twice as good at f- scoring free kicks as your average player, twice as good, if not more, at, at dribbling, at scoring goals, at creating goals, at playing three different positions over the course of his career so far. Tom, point me in the direction of something that Messi does not excel at. Yeah, this is a really tough one. It's one that Michael mentioned, you know, what about penalties? And I think even then Messi's like above average uh, for taking penalties too. The one that maybe, you know, he's probably definitely not as good at, and maybe you could question whether good is is actually the right thing here, is, um, you know, the distance that that Messi runs and walks in a game is, is... like the the switch of what the you know normal attacking players will do. I think Messi walks more often than any other player in a game and definitely runs kind of shorter distances and, and things like that. But I think even that obviously is is done in a way to conserve energy and you know interpret space far better than than kind of any other player on the pitch. So um, even if you try and kind of dice that any way you can, you see that. Um, Messi's his usage of his energy um, is probably more efficient than any player on the pitch. So combine that with you know his technical skills as well, and um, yeah, he's he's a bit of a machine. Another thing we we did consider was how often he wins fouls, which um, you know for his dribbling numbers you would expect he would get lots and lots of free kicks, but in the grand scheme of things he doesn't really. I guess because he's not really a diver he's not someone who wants to go to ground for the sake of it so you do wonder sometimes you know now he's so good at free kicks maybe he could be better at actually drawing those free kicks and winning them in dangerous positions but in general he's just keen, keen to uh, stay on his feet yeah it was something that Dermot mentioned where he thinks that I mean this is anecdotally but he thinks that Messi kind of rides tackles more and kind of like waits until he's a bit in a bit more of a better position upfield to then win a free kick in a, an advantageous position. And it wasn't kind of one of the 10 we settled for in the end, but definitely kind of um, if Messi was going to be good at winning 
fouls, he'd also <laughs> win them in locations where he can score from as well. So it wouldn't entirely surprise me if that was the case. I reckon there might be some English football fans wondering whether scoring goals against certain English clubs in the Champions League might have been a weakness. Certainly uh, uh, not a great goal-scoring record against Chelsea, three goals in 10 games, two in four against Liverpool, and then you get to Arsenal, nine goals in six against Arsenal, six in six against City, four in six against United. So still a pretty impressive record there. Uh, he's getting older, as we all are, Tom, even during this very podcast, 33 uh, he's just turned as we record and uh, a lot being talked about at the moment about how Barcelona are going to handle his last few years uh, as a player and then how they might potentially struggle once he can't play anymore, once he retires. Uh, are there any areas where he's noticeably declining? He certainly has had a longer peak than most players, but at this age, you would expect certain things to decline. One of the things I mentioned off the bat was his kind of the rate of dribbles that he attempts uh, has kind of gone down season on season the past few years, which, yeah, maybe says a lot about him in conserving his energy or um, it's that he can now rely on, I guess, the likes of um, Ansi Fati to do more of the, the running with the ball for him. But yeah, in terms of kind of goal scoring this season uh, on a kind of per 90 basis as well is the lowest of his career, at least going back at least 10 years. So, um, you know, to some extent, he, he's he scored plenty of goals, but also he's played plenty of minutes. So in his probably the first year in three where he's averaging less than a goal a game. So it does kind of show that he is something of a of a mere mortal. But um, it might be that there's the, the kind of Harry Kane effect where, you know, Kane is seemingly declined as well in recent years but I think it's quite tough to to tease out whether that decline is due to Kane himself being you know poor or just Spurs in general are, are, aren't as good and I think that the current thing with this you know Setien's Barcelona is they're just not as good as, as Barcelona teams of, of yesteryear um, so you know it's hard to say that whether Messi is himself is in decline or just the, the pieces around him aren't as good as, as they have been previously. Just going back to clubs and how they have suffered or not at the hands of Messi. I'm trying to work out who has been the hardest done by. Looking at Sevilla, potentially. He's played 37 times against them. He scored 37 goals and assisted a further 19. In terms of ratios, I think Osasuna have got a shout. 14 games against them. 23 goals in 14 against Osasuna with an extra seven assists as well for 30 goals and assists combined in, in 14 games. Potentially Ibar. 20 goals in 11 games against them and, and three assists as well. The numbers are incredible. We could keep going all day, probably, Michael. Um, let's give him some food for thought. Any areas left for him to excel, do you think? What what else could he do with just a couple of years left in his career? I mean, in terms of output, in terms of the numbers, I'm not sure that he's ever going to excel at anything else now. I think he's pretty much completed everything he can. Positionally, I do wonder where he will play in three or four years' time if he's still playing. He, he probably won't be as mobile as he is now. I think we are starting to see quite a noticeable decline in his, his level of mobility. One option would be for him to play as basically a, a goal-scoring centre-forward. But personally, and I'm not necessarily saying this would be the best option for him, but I'd love to see him play as a proper midfielder. You know, why shouldn't he play as a kind of Xavi Hernandez? He's got the the kind of game intelligence. He's, he'll still have quick feet. He's still an intelligent user of the ball. So, yeah, that's where I'd love to see him just for a season, just to see how well he would do it, you know, at 34 or 35 or whatever. I think if he wants to, he can extend his career um, and play maybe a completely different role. Well, maybe he could take some inspiration from uh, England's Wayne Rooney. 
the record ever goal scorer, of course, for England in international football, who's currently playing at the base of Derby County's midfield in the second tier, spraying passes from deep and uh, looking after the younger players, helping them develop. And if I'm honest, not doing a huge amount defensively. Uh, maybe he could look at uh, a return in that sense. And maybe that fairy tale return to Newell's old boys could be on the cards. Um, Tom, you spent a lot of time delving into Leo Messi data. I hope it was an enjoyable experience. What would you say you took away from it? Would you would you like to never think about Messi again, or or do you have an even greater admiration for this player? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably say the latter. And yeah, it just really helped put into perspective that we're able to enjoy Messi right now because you know we've only got a few years of his career left and uh, to be fair I kind of have a little bit of regret that I haven't watched more of him you know when I was when I was younger and when he was kind of more in his prime but uh you know there are ways to watch Messi online uh, and I have been doing so more in lockdown well thank you very much to both of you for for hopping on the pod today to talk about Leo Messi uh, as Michael said at the top and what a sales pitch it was this piece on the athletic site about Messi Tom Warville's baby but with a few others looking after it too is uh, just an opus, just a wonderful piece of work uh, and a hugely enjoyable read. Hopefully you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, but I would still implore you to go and read the piece. It's on The Athletic site. And if you're not a subscriber already, theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking is the place to go for that. That'll get you a 30-day free trial so you can read not just this piece on Leo Messi, but thousands of others on site as well. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Zonal Marking Podcast. All podcasts are free on all podcast platforms, but they're available ad-free as well to subscribers of The Athletic. So make sure you're subscribed and join us next week on the Zonal Marking Podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Hey everyone, James Richardson here from the Totally Football Show. Listen, 11 months on, we're finally getting to the best bit of this football season because the Champions League and Europa League are about to restart at the sharp end. Last eight knockout tournaments await in Portugal and Germany and we'll be following both competitions with special nightly podcasts every single match day ready for you to download first thing in the morning. So have your breakfast with Honigstein, Horncastle, Cox, Gurionov and all your other totally favourites and me as we wave goodbye to this epic footballing year in style. Our daily Totally Summer Special is available on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places. And of course, you can also listen to it ad-free on the Athletic app.